Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I still want your phone calls on the Sports Illustrated front. I used to go every Thursday, get into that mailbox, open it up, find the magazine, and just marvel at it. Yeah, who was on the cover? What did Rick Riley write? Uh, I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports, covers the Ducks, basketball, football, man of the world, father, husband, golfer, uh, also a guy without power this week. Uh, I've been texting with Prem all week. Uh, feel bad for him. Told him he could come to my house, uh, but he's like, couple hours away uh matt you have power back when did you get power back i don't know the exact time uh i was working at a uh starbucks last night uh which by the way i saw a man fully with a full set of hair walk into the bathroom at starbucks he emerged with no hair i don't know where it went but uh <laughs> I love it. it was interesting uh, came back, picked up my wife from her work, and we stopped by the house at like six o'clock to pick up some things before we went over to my in-laws and our lights were on. So, uh, very thankful for, uh, some friends in the community who were able to put me in touch with an electrician and who was able then to put me in touch with eWeb to get something fixed with my house. Uh, it got um, the meter box got crushed and it was kind of a chicken or the egg thing where it was like, well, is it your meter? That's which is your responsibility or is it the box, which is our responsibility, but mm. they got all got figured out and uh, very thankful for all those people that are braving the elements, get repairing power for all of us. What, what do you know now that you didn't know before you lost power? I need a generator. Yes, that's what I I found that out <laughs> two years ago. I mean, how much we all depend upon electronics, which like you you feel like you do, like you did, but you know everything everything you know revolves around uh, electricity in your life, and everyone revolves around more more so now internet. I mean, I I literally was operating on my phone for the few hours each day that I was trying to work, but it's like, well, how much can I do? Should I do? If I only, if I know every 10 minutes that I sit on my phone, it's going to use 2% of my battery. Uh, you know, how, how much, how, how much do you dictate that? Uh, or yeah, I, I learned how dependent we all are on electronics and relying on technology, which, in the hindsight, it's kind of sad. I thought I was tougher than I am. And I learned that a couple of years ago when we lost power for three days. I had about a good day, day and a half, and then I was a slow sort of spiral into despair where I was going, <laughs> this isn't good, this isn't bad. Now, you sent your kids to, to the in-laws, right? You at least had that. Yeah, they had power. Um, so they they live up the street, and so... When we lost power, we just didn't wake anybody up, um, and they went to bed. We woke up next morning. Uh, we tried to figure out some things to do in town that that had power to kind of get them out of the house and do some stuff. Uh, and then once we ran through all those items on the list of things we could do, haircuts, errands, gas up the car, 
um, we then took them over to the in-laws. So they they were they were there fine. And honestly, like, I my my bedroom's the second story of our house. Um, it I would like to think it's fairly well insulated, but sleeping in forty-five degree weather in my house actually didn't bother me as much as I kind of anticipated it would. You're tough now hanging out during the day is another story, but <laughs> if I had to if I had to sleep, it wasn't that bad. Matt Prame with us, wilderness man in his own home. He's got power now. Um, hey, I've been talking about Sports Illustrated. I, I want to know from you, yeah. like, do you, you know, if if Sports Illustrated's dead, there's part of me that's nostalgic. I I loved looking at the cover, reading the magazine. Do you have memories of that magazine? Do you have a favorite cover? Yeah, I mean, I I I didn't have the love of of the magazine as some did, where they knew the day it showed up on their mailbox. Um, but I still read it as a kid, and I remember whenever Oregon – I grew up in Eugene. I grew up rooting for Oregon um, as a kid. So, like, I remember when Joey Harrington and Ken Simonton were on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the swords poking through the other mascots, um, you know, stuffed animal. Like, that was a big one. That one's probably still in one of my drawers somewhere in my house. I have a copy of that one. Um, LeBron James, The Chosen One was a big deal just because I was in high school around the time he was in high school. He's a little bit older than me. And it was kind of like one of those, that guy is one of my peers and he's on Sports Illustrated. That's kind of weird. Um, cool Rich 4-0, Oregon Duck one is one yeah. that at the time is really cool in the hindsight of that season. Um, not nearly as big as it used to be, but it's still a cool moment. And, you know, it, it was a sign that like you, when you got put on Sports Illustrated's cover, like you were the story of all of sports for that week, which was a pretty clear indicator of how big of a thing you know you were or the team was. Yeah, and I think that that cool, rich uh, cover that Oregon was on, you know, that was a big deal. And now College Game Day has kind of replaced that as where's Game Day going has become a bigger and bigger thing, and. We know a lot of that sometimes is driven by media and brand and you know what what the network wants wants it to be. But I don't, I just don't know if it'll ever be replaced by anything else. I don't think it has been. Um, Matt Prem is with us, twenty four seven Sports. The um the the Pac twelve basketball season. Can we start there a little bit? Dana Altman and the Ducks. Their woes at Colorado continued last night, and Folly Dante yeah. looked wiped out. He looked gassed, man, late in the game. But yeah. What's going on with Colorado, like in Oregon's inability to to get a W there? Super weird, you know. Like it's one of those things where if if you said okay, they play eleven times and you know Colorado wins seven of the four or seven of the eleven, like like okay, understandable. It it's just a place. It's hard to win. It's road games, but the fact that you know, I'm sure Dan Altman's kind of happy they're never going back to to <laughs> Boulder again, unless he ch- openly chooses to. To be a glutton of punishment and go back there as a non-conference game, um, I don't. It's it's one of those greatest mysteries uh, for Oregon basketball under Dana Altman. They just have never played well there. Um, it feels like every game is a blowout, uh, and it feels like every game is a struggle for them to play. And then the the, the what makes it even weirder is you go then look at the the series against Utah and. At Utah, or it's like inverse. Oregon just dominates 
the Utes in basketball every single year, it feels like. I think Oregon has only lost at Utah like once or twice during uh, Altman's time with the Ducks as well. So it's a weird phenomenon, one that you just really can't answer. They they didn't look very good at times last night. They didn't look even remotely close to who they were at times. And then in other moments last night, they looked like the team that had won five games to open league play. Um you were right. Dante looked completely gassed, plus the elevation, having to play against a, a, a formidable center in Lampkin. Um, Cody Williams is an absolute stud of a freshman. Um, and I, I think they, you know, Colorado played some of their best basketball of the season, which is a common occurrence whenever Oregon comes there for whatever reason. I, I still think Dana Altman will figure it out. It just kind of felt to me like last night, they're still trying to figure out how to play within Folly Dante healthy 100 percent. yeah conference is wide open colorado's really streaky but good arizona's got a lot of talent but they've had some down nights washington state's really well coached they're solid uh, i i'm really excited to see who shows up in vegas at the conference tournament and and uh how this all pans out and i do think oregon's a tournament team you agree with that i do i think projections show them there as well right now um they can't lose or they can lose on Sunday to Utah. Um, that would hurt them. Uh, it wouldn't knock them out of it. But this is an important stretch. Uh, they've got to get a split on the road. That would really enhance their resume. They've got to probably get um, a, a split in two weeks down on the, the L.A. schools. Um, ideally, you almost kind of say they got to get both, considering where those two programs are at and, and the injuries and the, the struggles that they've dealt with. Um, the Arizona game here in a week in Eugene is, is absolutely monumental, and it's one where it's a must-win just because you're not going to get an opportunity like that against that quality of an opponent very often this season. Uh, and, and a win, you know, the, the, the impact of that win is four or five times the value of a, of a win at Utah or, you know, a, a game, you know, a game against USC or UCLA this season. Um, a loss doesn't hurt you, but a win could change your season. I I, I do think they are a tournament team, though. Um, they have pieces that that are unique. I think Shelstead's one of the best guards in, in the conference. I think he's one of the better freshmen in the country. Um, and it's a unique one where I don't think he's also an NBA player yet. So you've got that chip in your in your hand where you know you're going to have him for a couple of years. Um, Dante, is, once he gets back – like. He was, I think, plus 10 last night on the floor. Uh, you know, one of the few players that Oregon had a positive plus minus with against Colorado. His issue was they just, A, he had some fouls that three fouls in the first half, two of them were really silly fouls, one of which was a foul by him that he never should have made on a moving screen, and I think Shelstead probably set him up wrong. And then another one was just a very questionable call uh, by the officiating, which both was terrible for both sides. Um, there was like 25 fouls combined in 28 minutes at one point in that game. Very inconsistent. Um, but Dante, once he gets his, his legs under him, he's going to, you know, he'll he'll anchor that that team. And then you've got you know some guys on the wings that are that are pretty darn good, um, that can do some unique things for Oregon's team. And it's just, do they have enough time to a get their legs underneath them? learn how to play together again while not losing uh, some some games and claiming some important ones 
and positioning yourself there. I think they will. I think they'll make the tournament. I think they've got a chance to win the league. They're still in first place, uh, even though that game last night was pretty ugly. Uh, and you know everything is set up for them to make a run. Now it's just up to them to be able to execute and do it. Let me ask you. I'm going to pivot to football a little bit, but you sure. know I I'm looking at Washington's hire of Jed Fish. I'm looking at Oregon and Dan Lanning, his recommitment to the Ducks, whether he was offered the job or not, or had a shot. I think it's it's good. It's clear he's staying. Um, is it possible Oregon comes out of all of this coaching mess in? somehow in a better position, like you don't have to deal with DeBoer at Washington, go into the Big Ten, looks like you know, might not have to deal with Jim Harbaugh or anybody else. Like it's, it, it is kind of lining up for Dan Lanning a little bit. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon has positioned themselves really well. Um, I do think you, you could argue that Dan Lanning wasn't offered the job by Alabama, and that, that may be true, but it's probably true because they called and asked for his interest and he said no chance, and they just immediately – went a different direction. Um, I don't think the coaches that released those videos, whether it was Norvell or Sarkeesian um, or Lanning, you know, they don't put it out there that they're passing on Alabama unless they know that they've said no to Alabama. Like it, it, it's not just Alabama. Dan Lanning, if, if, if Dan Lanning was approached by Georgia and he, if, if, if the Georgia job opens up and he, he says, I'm staying, I'm not going to Georgia, uh, before Georgia even calls him. Like, no coach is going to do that. Like, like, put it out there blatantly like he did. Um, so I, I think he was offered the job, or are they? he was at least contacted before DeBoer. Um, he said no, and as things have fallen, the system's broken. Like, two teams made the college football playoff, and their rosters are completely gutted from that. Um, that shouldn't be the case. But Oregon is benefiting from it. They might get one of Washington's star returning players, Jabbar Mahavan. He's going to be on campus for an official visit, a cornerback uh, that, that Oregon's trying to get. They're considered the favorites by many. Um, Texas is looking at them. DeBoer's trying to get them to, to sign with Alabama. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, from a portal perspective, players have talked about the strength continuity that, that Oregon's roster has from a roster standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. Um, recruits have talked about that as well. Um, and I think you look at Division Street's work and roster retainment, like there's only really two players, three players that you look at who have left the team that you go, okay, that's kind of a head scratcher. He was going to be a player next season for Oregon. That's rising senior Triquez Bridges, who was probably going to be third, fourth best corner on the team, maybe even fifth, depending on now that they've added a couple guys at that position. He landed at Florida. And the other two were freshmen. Cole Martin, a, uh, a freshman that played in all 13 games, primarily special teams and a little bit of nickel, a little bit of safety, but he wasn't going to start next season. And Dante Dowdell was a, was a four-star freshman running back that wasn't going to start next year and wasn't even going to be in the top three of Oregon's you know, running back room. He was, those, you know, those two freshmen were long-term guys. I, I think Division Street has done a really good job for Oregon maintaining its its roster. They haven't had – any of these big names that are starters say, you know what, like I'm not getting mine. I'm going to go somewhere else and get paid. Uh, all those guys came back. Matt, I'm glad you're warm. I'm glad you got electricity. I know you'll never take it for granted again. Now uh, get, start <laughs> start Googling generators, and uh, <laughs> you'll 
you'll probably uh, make a purchase here at some point, I'm sure. My, my, my search history is uh, wild. It's gone from hotel rooms in Phoenix, air, airfare to Palm Springs, generators. <laughs> um, you know, I've snow track shoes. Uh, my, my social media ads on Instagram are all over the place. <laughs> it's not my normal golf stuff. <laughs> I love it. All right, Prem, thanks for joining us. Stay warm, stay safe over the weekend. There he goes. Matt Prem, uh, 24-7 Sports, and find him on Twitter as well. Our big splash is coming up, and it's not good for DeAndre Ayton. Leave it here. we got great sound for Punch It Audio coming up at 4 o'clock. Make sure you're here for it. Steven, I haven't asked you about your favorite uh, Sports Illustrated uh, cover. Do you have one that pops into your head? Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, one is the Ken Simonton, Joey Harrington uh, issue where they are both on the cover with the uh, swords through the other's mascot. That's always a good one. Um, the other one I always remember is the Jason Fife one in 2003 after the Ducks beat Michigan to go to 4-0. Um, and then thinking back to that, you know, the Ducks lost three games in a row right after that, and it was the whole Sports Illustrated jinx that we all talked about for a while right. there as well. So um, that was a big one. Another one I remember having um, when I was a kid was uh, and seeing it around was the Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler uh, road basically like they're on the collision path to the finals. That's a really big one that I liked. Um, and then there was another one we talked about sporting news. Like I was a big sporting news guy, so this is you know a little off Sports Illustrated, but there was one I remember. We have it hanging up at my parents' house, and it's a uh, it was a what if edition, and it had Michael Jordan in a Blazers uniform, and that is always uh, that was always a big one in my house. That's sporting news, but I was a big sporting news guy. But Sports Illustrated, you know, you're right. Like it's one of those things as a kid. I remember just going through it and just reading it and just. You know, just digesting all of the, all of sports because that's all I wanted to do was talk about sports, watch sports, play sports, um, and so it was just another outlet for that. I think uh, it's nostalgia, of course, but uh, I think Sports Illustrated. You know, I think we'll tell our children about it and they'll look at us funny one day and say, hey, you know, we don't really get it. Um, we have our big splash coming up, but first, I want to take a couple calls. Don's in Beaverton. Don, what's up, man? Yeah, I got. I like Dale Murphy. He was on there. Bill Murphy, the baseball player, and also oh, yeah. uh, I got uh, Green Bay blowing out your 49ers this weekend by uh, no, 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 six, no, 17 no. points, maybe oh, 21. Boy. Don't bet Don't bet what you can't afford to lose on that, Donnie. Dave's in Sherwood. Dave, welcome. Hi, John. Uh, my best memory of SI cover issue is bittersweet as we approach its 50th anniversary, and that would be the Lost Weekend. Yeah. Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, 50 years ago, and Bill Walton and and uh, UCLA and 88-game win streak comes to an end. No, actually, the Notre Dame snapped the streak two or three weeks prior to the trip to Eugene and Corvallis. Mm-hmm. And the Bruins lost both games on the road, close games, Ralph Miller, Dick Carter. And uh, <laughs> I, I was a kid in SoCal and grew up playing basketball. I played college and high school and doted on everything John Wooden and UCLA ever did. And I had uh, matriculated up to Willamette University in 74 had my subscription transferred to school, and I was crestfallen at the <laughs> at the result of those two games, and that was 
74 was not a good year for the Bruins. It ended up. But that's the memory I have, and thanks for bringing the topic up. It's very cool. Touched me. Yeah, it's, it is 50 years ago today, though, that the streak was broken by Notre Dame. He's talking about the weekend. Uh, but 50 years ago today, Notre Dame snapped UCLA's 88-game win streak. Charlie's in Vancouver. Charlie, go ahead. Wow, John, before I go to the SI stuff, you really snapped a memory there. John Shoemate, I believe, was one of the big guys that day because I had a little cassette recorder that I recorded the game from my TV while I'm watching it. That's the kind of loser I was. I can still remember Dick McGuire calling the game. Or uh, Dick Emberg, sorry. And <laughs> it was great stuff. Anyway, back to Sports Illustrated. I loved it because it, it was such a story magazine. You know, it wasn't two two paragraphs about the game and that kind of thing. They had four or five articles that were always just, you know, five, ten-page stories, which were just phenomenal, which I hadn't seen in any other news source at that time. Love the fact that their NCAA playoff pitchers were better than anything I could ever get in a newspaper or anything like that, you know, because it was glossy. But the cover, and I don't know if it made the cover, but I think it did. I know it was a great story. Do you remember – the big lie that SI told, I think his name was Sid Finch. Oh, they yeah. told we the story of a big... Yeah. Oh, yep. I missed it. Doggone missed it. it. I'm yeah. sorry. It's okay. George Plimpton, I'm sure other listeners are just tuning in as well. April Fool's Day, George Plimpton, Sid Finch. And uh, he fooled some people, but it was terrific writing by Plimpton. Dude, it fooled me. I thought it was awesome. I was telling all my buddies about it. No, man, I'm a loser. Anyway, thanks, John, for bringing it up. You really brought back some memories. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, Charlie in Vancouver. I like nostalgia. I guess there's a reason it exists. Um, let's get to our big splash. DeAndre Ayton, it's been a rough week for you. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, it wasn't a good look for DeAndre Ayton that he missed the Blazers game the other night, unable to get down his icy driveway. Well, the excuse... Didn't hold up for long either. It was outdone when the team's courtside reporter, Brooke Olsendam, went on air during the game. She's got a broken foot. Her foot's in a boot. And she told the Blazers broadcast team she had to scoot down her driveway. She lives very close to DeAndre Ayton. She had to find her way down her driveway, get there for the game. Courtside reporter with a broken foot made it. DeAndre Ayton did not home because of the icy conditions. It's blowing up. Awful announcing had uh, a little fun uh, with it as well. But, uh, you know, Brooke, she's tough. She's got the boot on. Broke her foot before Sunday's game, but no power out her house. Got her car out of her garage. Found an Uber to the game. Made it to work. DeAndre Ayton did not. It's going to get worse and worse for him. And, Stephen, I think you made the point yesterday. Like, if he if he didn't have all the questions about his motor and the fact that, you know, did he not play hard, all that stuff, if that wasn't part of the story, this wouldn't be a story. 100%, yeah. I mean, it's it's just his reputation. I mean, Phoenix didn't want him because of the effort thing. You know, Monty Williams is tired of him. They, they basically got rid of him and just wanted him out. 
and Portland grabbed him because Chauncey's always loved him. And Chauncey's, I think, thought he could uh, kind of change his motor. And then you saw this year with Portland, like the motor hasn't always been there and, and the desire hasn't always been there. He's has quotes that have said, basically, you know, I want to play so I can get a second contract and that's about it. Like it, that's why it's questioned on his, his effort ability, his effort. And does he actually care about basketball? Does he care about the team? Does he want to play? And then when this happens, yeah, I mean, it's easy to just say, you know what? This is a very easy situation that you could have uh, probably figured out a way to get out of there, out of your house and get to the arena. Everybody else on the team did. Everyone else undid it, but not DeAndre Ayton. So it's just, I think it's a bad look. I know a lot of Blazers fans on Twitter are supporting DeAndre DeAndre Ayton and saying, you know, it it shouldn't have been canceled. The game should have been canceled, all that kind of stuff. But, man, you know, I make 100 times less than DeAndre Ayton. I found myself, found a way to get to work on those days. Like, I don't know. I just feel like when you're making $35.5 million, you got to find a way to get to the arena to play basketball if that's your job. There's Stephen, uh, I think well put, and I think relatable as well. But I'm dividing $35 million by 100 uh, I think I did the math right. There you go. Stephen, well done. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, I just think when you have that knock on yourself, like, that has to, if you care, that has to resonate when you're staring at the icy driveway. And Dale Davis, you know, uh, David Sotomayor tweeted it, but I remember the story. I was around when Dale Davis had to go down that driveway. He, I, I spoke to him after the incident about it. His eyes were wide. He was scared. He said he got down on his hands and knees and he crawled from his house all the way down this long driveway on the ice just so he didn't fall. And then he caught a taxi or something and made it to the to the game. Um, If you're DeAndre Ayton and the knock on you is that you don't love the game, you don't care, you're not going to play hard, you got no motor, if you have that knock on you and you have any kind of, any semblance of personal pride, you're not missing that game. You're just not. Punch It Audio is coming up. We've got great sound. We'll also get a visit from John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. We'll talk about the Pac-12 teams. We're going to talk about the NFL playoff games. Huge games tomorrow and Sunday. Niners-Packers tomorrow. Also, uh, obviously, the Texans and Raisin, Ray, Raisins, Ravens tomorrow. And then the Sunday games, including the Bills and the Chiefs. We'll break them all down. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.